You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. And finally, our third sponsor is 988. The Oklahoma 988 Mental Health Lifeline, 988 is a direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with trained behavioral health professionals that can get all Oklahomans the help that they need. Learn more by visiting 988oklahoma.com. That's 988oklahoma.com. And now, let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode coming to you today from the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. And my guest today is Commissioner of Mental Health, Carrie Slatton-Hodges. Thank you so much for coming down. Thank you for having me. I am uh, super excited to dive into this kind of the mental health side of things because as a golfer, I'm in my own head so much, (laughs) Uh, good and bad things. Uh, And I think there's a lot of good things that sport has done for people who are in mental health and got them out of it. You know, someone finds a hobby and a passion and and it kind of gives them light, I think, to, to work towards and focuses their attention on something else. But that's just one of the many things that, you know, comes to mind when I think of mental health but obviously it's you know it's a it's a far growing um issue and i think more people are now comfortable talking about it than they were maybe when i was growing up when you were growing up it was kind of like probably taboo and especially in men we didn't want to talk about it because it was a sign of weakness maybe um so i'm really excited to dive into it and just kind of learn more about it and, and give our listeners some some value stuff but before we do uh tell me a little bit about you what's, what's kind of like your your oklahoma story and your background Um, I moved to Oklahoma when I was about 13, and I've been here ever since. Uh, I've lived around Oklahoma. I grew up in the city, and then I moved out to western Oklahoma. I started uh, my mental health career in a rural environment with uh, the community mental health center I worked for, covered eight counties. And that's really where I started doing crisis work, and it was fascinating because... um, You worked very closely with law enforcement, judges, um, just all members of the community Mm -hmm. because of being in small communities. And um, the other thing that I thought was so interesting, for a period of time I did emergency evaluations at night from, well, from five in the evening till eight in the morning and on weekends. And it really uh, drove home that anybody can find themselves in crisis. Um, when you are seeing any person that goes into crisis in those eight counties, you realize that this is not a select group of people. This can be anybody. And um, so from there, I came back to Oklahoma City, became chief of operations for a large mental health center here. Um, Felt like I had learned all I could from that side and then went to work for the state Mm. um, about 16 years ago. Uh, became the deputy commissioner there for a really long time until I be- became commissioner a few years ago. Mm-hmm. What from a young age gets you into thinking, um, I want to be in mental health? I want to be, I want to help people. Well, I think I always have had that I want to help people. I was raised by a family that was, um, well, my mom was very Catholic and uh, helping people was just a huge part of her life. She was always doing volunteer work and, um, And the Beatitudes, if you're familiar with those, was something that um, was very strong in in how I grew up. So I always, helping people was just a part of who we were. Mm -hmm. And then to kind of think that you could actually help people as um, a part of what you did for a living as well was, I thought, very intriguing. The mental health part is interesting to me. And, And 
and we're mental health and addiction. Sometimes yeah. people don't put those two together or think it's all under one. And, you know, I've had different experiences throughout my life um, with family, having mental health issues and um, with people I know having addiction issues and always wanting to understand the answers to those questions and how they could have the best life possible or why something happened. And so I think I just had an inherent interest in that. But, you know, someone asked me that question a while back as to why I was interested in this. And I kind of leapt forward um, to maybe my 20s. But when I got to think about it, I was actually like the president of the psychology club in high school. So it must have been way before then. It yeah. just has always been something that was interesting yeah. to me. Uh, do you have any family members that are in the industry that you were kind of looking up to that kind of led you in that path or any family members that were in just the service industry in general? Um, no, not really. Okay. I have a family full of teachers and um, a lawyer. Um, my dad was a businessman um, I do think probably a pivotal moment for me was um, my dad's side of the family is small. Uh, there were three brothers, and one of his brothers, who was just a delightful, bright man we spent lots of time with growing up, um, died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, when I was a, a senior in high school, and that had a big impact, wondering... Yeah why and he um he had two boys that were my cousins and and I just you know had a lot of questions around that yeah. and um, and I think that particularly had an impact yeah yeah we in my high school if you google my hometown probably one of the things will come up was kind of like a two to three year period where we had a significant amount of suicides and it was really bad my high school was there was someone in my class my aunt like Two people in my in my class, um, we have you know a, a friend's son from the golf course, another member of the golf club, like just a, two members from the golf club. It was just very bizarre, uh, a time for like the town, and you know you're right. You're trying to answer those questions, right? Because it was people of all ages. You know, you got guys who are 16 up to guys who are you know 50 years old. You know, and like sometimes it's money issues, right? And other times it's just you're 15, 16, you just, there's a lot to life and, and there's so much pressure and you, it's really hard to understand. And uh, then you start to wonder why does someone else with the same stressors not choose that right. path? And so there's a lot, a lot to learn um, in order yeah. to help people. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was a horrendous time for the town, um, you know, and, and everyone still remembers the people who, who who took their own lives and it's it's impactful right and it's kind of like the, the, the stigma is still around you know if you grew up in that area area and you remember that like it's it was significant and you know trying to to combat that right and come out of it the right way and build a kind of sense of um you know this is okay to talk about something and and, and thankfully now there are places you know here and in certain you know in, in most towns where you can talk about it but it's uh yeah it's not fun to go through at all it is not and i do remember um that it was something that that as that side of the family as close as we were um we did not talk a lot about mm-hmm. it because it was hard and um and also that being like a big wedge and that that side of the family really didn't get together a lot after that yeah. it was it was too painful for mm-hmm. for those folks and so and my family as well so it was a huge impact yeah so when you're when, when you're like you said you're, you're the head of the psychology club in high school so you're already kind of thinking subconsciously probably at that time that like i have a passion for the mind and how it works and how we make decisions and what affects us and, and, uh, and through affects us through our ages now our mind slowly sadly deteriorates over time uh, and then you go into university what was your degree in, in university well when I first went to university I um, studied human resources management mm-hmm. um, and really it it kind of tied together in that there is an an awful lot of 
finding out people's skills and aptitudes and how to be able to put them in the right place so that they can succeed. So it kind of just continued to feed that. And then I, when I went on to get my master's, I, I received it in applied psychology, which was, by that point in time, completely the study of the brain and behavior. And um, so by that point, I was completely hooked and knew that's what I wanted to go to graduate school for. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing to find something that you love doing, right? Yes. And, I, and I hope people listening... You know, if you haven't found it, I hope you do one day because there is a certain peacefulness in getting up and going to work every day and knowing that, like, you love what you do and you're making it, you know, you're clearly making a change. Um, so you go on to your graduate degree at Southern Nazarene and then um, do you go into a practice? Like, how, how do you transition from working then into what you mentioned earlier with, like, the crisis stuff? And Well, one of the things that... Um I did learn about when I was uh, studying was community mental health, and that fascinated me the most. And a lot of people don't realize the history of mental health and, and, and the treatment of mental health disorders is a relatively young field. And for many years, if you had a person that, due to their behaviors or their thoughts didn't quite fit in with regular society, then you went and lived at the state hospital. Mm-hmm. They, um, they had populations of thousands. Um, here in Oklahoma, we had three. We had uh, um, Fort Supply, Eastern State Hospital, and Griffin Memorial. And each of those had thousands of people. Um, they had their own farms, they raised their own crops, they had a society that paralleled regular society, but it was completely separate from regular society. And community mental health was the, the change, and, and it was actually, uh, the, the bill started in 1961 mm-hmm. under Kennedy, which was to say, in essence, that people shouldn't have to leave society um, in order to receive whatever care and treatment they needed. They should be able to remain in their communities and receive the care and treatment there. And um, that ended up being the Community Mental Health Center Act in the United States, which um, started the development of services within the community. Mm -hmm. And thus, then in the 70s, started the decline of the size of state psychiatric hospitals and people leaving and living there. So the study of community mental health really fascinated me. And so my first job that I took and, and... Many subsequent jobs were in community mental health, and I was in a rural environment at at that time, so um, I really, from that perspective, could see how this impacted families, how it impacted persons' lives to be able to receive the care and treatment that they needed in their communities. Yeah. During that time, then, is there anything that comes up that, you know, was kind of, oh, we saw this every day, this was kind of normal, or was it just across the board of just general mental illnesses, mental health? You know, that's interesting. Everything becomes normal after a while, um, which really is in some ways a goal because that means you've seen and learned and know how to treat, et cetera. Um, There are certain things that are common. Um, As long as I can remember, kids have had disruptive behaviors in school and a hard time sitting still and um, maybe have outbursts, et cetera. And, And so that's always been something that's been in existence and people seek treatment for, although I think, you know, at some point we have to realize that maybe sitting in a classroom for eight hours a day is not normal, which is maybe why we see a lot of of those types of behaviors. Um, So that was always pretty common addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I was surprised initially at the amount of addiction issues that existed and the number of people who... um, continue to try to have a functional life while they are 
um, addicted to substances and how challenging that is. And then, of course, depression is the number one mental health issue in the United States and actually um, in the world. So always a lot of depression. And sometimes you'll see it as situational. Um, I can remember a time um, a, a woman having a complete upheaval of her life and um, and I will say this in Oklahoma something that's a little unique to us is we've had these cycles of of boom and bust um, economically in particular around the oil and gas industry and in this particular case which is not uncommon having had one life then see that completely change because of a bust of an entire industry. And she could not stop crying. Um, she wasn't having thoughts of suicide, but she cried every day. And the magic of watching her go from someone that had a hard time getting out of bed and cried daily to someone that rebuilt their life found a new passion, um, and couldn't wait to get up each morning and, and see what the day had to bring. When you see things like that, it's just absolute magic. It is just magic. It's almost as if the touch is magical. And so, I mean, how can you experience that even one time and not be completely hooked? We also had, um, in, in Western Oklahoma, we had a very small crisis unit. It was 10 beds. But what would happen is I would see a person at night in crisis, and so they were at their absolute worst. And it, have them admitted into our crisis unit. And then a couple of days later, I would come back and do a reevaluation as they were getting ready to go to court to see did they need continued care at this level or could they step down to outpatient? And through that, I got to see magic just repeatedly, Damn. just to see people caring, people having dialogue with you, medication if necessary, mm-hmm. getting adequate sleep, getting out of a stressful environment and how much of a change that can create so that then someone could move on to the work of Let's figure out what was going on. Let's make a plan for uh, the continuation of that. And so I just see these huge changes in a 48-hour period, and it was just its just the most amazing thing. Yeah, and you're probably surprised at how simple um, the if the change came down to, something probably as simple as just getting a good night's sleep sometimes, and how not easy is the word because nothing's ever easy, but just how by having a controlled environment, you were, you know you would be able to see the change in that person, and you know all it takes is for them to reach out or get them in the right place, right? That's the hardest part. It sounds yes. like is actually getting them to need you know to come to you yes. or finding those right people yes. because it's a, like, it could be as simple as like I said, just spending twenty eight hours with us and having a reset that's exactly right and and you know you you mentioned earlier about um about that things are better people view mental health and receiving care and treatment um, in a less stigmatizing way now but there are so many things that interfere usually from our own thoughts about whether we should go get help or care or go see someone or talk to someone. And that that still happens every day, which is why we see people in crisis, is that usually they have waited. Mm -hmm. They already have experienced that they're not sleeping well, they're not eating well, they are feeling anxious, they're feeling depressed. but they haven't decided to step forward. And oftentimes then those symptoms and behaviors just continue to grow mm-hmm. until you're at a point of extreme crisis and, and uh, need an intervention at that point. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that truly is because of stigma and knowing about resources and where they are and how truly easy it can be mm-hmm. to access resources. Um, which can prevent so much. But you're right. Um, it is sometimes 
fascinating that the right care can actually be relatively simple. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're kind of, you're, you're right now, you're, you're kind of a part of a, you know, a leadership team for mm-hmm. the Oklahoma Mental Health Services Abuse. Is that fairly, like, recent, that de- department? No, no, no. no. Uh, the department really, um, at the time that community mental health centers came into being, Everything around mental health and substance abuse treatment and care was at the federal level. Okay. But when community mental health centers came into being shortly after that, um, actually during the Reagan era, uh, that was transferred to the state. And that was when okay. uh, you needed a state mental health and substance abuse authority and um, the agency was created. Yeah. So the good thing is that you've kind of already known about this, and, and I guess for you as a career path, that generally would have been the North Star, I assume. When you're coming up, and you're like, if I'm going to be the best at my job, I need to be, you know, it's like wanting, it's like getting into politics for the first time, thinking if you want to be, you know, the person, then you probably want to become the president or whatever. That was probably your North Star when you get into the business, I assume. Was to be in this job? No, well, was to be that the, the commissioner would have been that effectively, to put, use a terrible analogy, the president of the, you know, I'm terrible at analogies, as you can tell. <laughs> but uh, what I'm trying to say is the position that you're in is a very respected and top of the tree position to be in. And, you know, it's not something that you've just happened to be chosen to be put into. This is something you've been doing for a very long time. True. Very yeah. true. Okay. Yes. Uh, see, I'm terrible at analogies. Yeah. It's just a long-winded way of saying you're going to do your job. <laughs> thank, uh, thank you. <laughs> so it, one thing that I'm interested in is kind of like, I know that the, the stigma's kind of probably decreased. Has the stigma kind of evolved into just how society has evolved into, you know, back in the day, this is the stigma for a, for a guy's mental health. You know, you just said you're a bit of a weak person, you're a baby, you know, suck it up. Whereas now it, it seems probably to evolve into, you know, you don't have any friends. You or something. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if it, if it has moved or, or is it still like you're, you know, the typical old man type your baby. I, I think it is more accepted for people to receive yeah. care. Um, I would say it's it's more accepted, but the stigma is more that that's for other people. Okay. So it's a more it's a acceptable for my sure. friend to go get care and treatment, but I wouldn't necessarily sure. need it because you know that doesn't apply to me. I think, yeah. and I think also a lot of it depends upon where you live. Urban areas are mm-hmm. usually more um, okay with receiving care and treatment. Rural areas, and part of it, I think, in rural areas is that um, if you go to the perhaps one place that there is to receive care and treatment, you know many people are going to know that. Right. They know your car, they know the place, they know what you look like, mm-hmm. and and so it may be more anxiety-producing to go receive care and treatment and, uh-huh. and that fear of stigma. And I have to say, I, you know, stigma has definitely gotten better, but there was a study a few years ago that looked at stigma and what people still think. And even I was shocked that people reported that they had a fear if they were to seek any assistance that it would affect their job, that the majority of people still believed it would affect their job. It would affect their relationship with others. It would affect how their family viewed them. Mm -hmm. And so that is real. It is still very real for people to feel like it will have a negative impact on their life if they were to receive care. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I know a lot of people who are very outspoken and, and they speak about going to therapy and whether they are a teacher or they're a business leader and, and they just need to get, you know, 
things off the chest. I had a previous podcast guest. I asked him, what was the first thing you did after you sold your company? And he said, go to therapy, uh, to which I laughed at. And he goes, no, I'm like totally serious. Like I really needed to figure out what I wanted to do what with the rest of my life. Thing. Yeah. I have a huge life change. I better yeah. make sure I'm processing it in yeah. the best way. And he's in the tech space and he was like dealing with a lot of, you know, high stress stuff, which I totally get. But also, I think a lot of people don't realize that it's also substance abuse and addiction as well, right? People think of, of mental health and they just think, you know, you must be depressed. You know, something's probably not going on at home. Maybe it's a money issue, whatever it is, or family issue. People don't generally think, you know, it's it could be addiction and, and you know, that side of it as well. Which kind of, when, I, when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. But sadly, addiction, you know... Well, it could be anything is, is, is something that is really hard to get through and get over. Absolutely. You know? And, and I know, it can be so devastating. Yeah. And we've had a big issue, right, with the opioids in Oklahoma. And that's kind of made the headlines. We have. It's interesting. Um, we've had a big issue with opioids in that as a state, we were one of the highest states in the nation. This was not currently. This is in the past mm-hmm. for the number of opiates prescribed um, the uh, doses of the opiates we prescribed and um, and overdose deaths. And so we were creating opiate addicts in our state mm-hmm. at a very high rate. And um, fortunately, as a state, we have had tremendous reduction in that as a as a lot of work on the policy side, educating doctors, putting limits on prescribing, people need to be seen face-to-face for renewals, all of those types of things have made huge impacts in our state in terms of the number of persons have, who um, are becoming addicted to opiates. Now, we do have some new dangers. Fentanyl is one. Fentanyl is much more likely to cause an overdose death. Mm-hmm. And it's oftentimes hidden in different uh, products because they can, um, the people who manufacture these products can put a little in, ensure that you get a high, yeah. but unfortunately it's so deadly that it's very dangerous. Um, but from even during those times and to now in our state, methamphetamine is by far the largest consumed uh, substance. And it is the number one reason why people come seek care and treatment for addiction in our state with um, alcohol being number two. So although we had had an opiate crisis, the actual numbers of people were much less than these other substances yeah. that people became addicted to. Has the, I mean, say recent last, you know, the legalization of marijuana helped at all or not? Because a lot of people think of, like you mentioned alcohol at that point, you know, there isn't really a stigma around alcohol. People drink it every day socially, or but obviously there is a problem with it. And if you look at the stats, I'm sure people will tell you that alcohol does a lot more worse than marijuana or cannabis and that through medicinal Stuff, But I'm interested, I wondered if that legalization has helped at all. So I would say, in reality, we have very little research around marijuana. Um, The way it was classified prevented it from being researched for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And so as states are moving forward with various levels of legalization, you're starting to see a lot more research. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, we don't really know the answers to to what you're saying. Now, there is a research that shows when you take any substance and make it more readily available, Mm -hmm. the outcome is you're gonna have more persons who suffer negative consequences from that. Sure. So um, Initially or over time? Over time. Okay. And we would likely see that Um, as well, Mm -hmm. just because of more availability. And in particular, one of the areas that marijuana can be troubling, and the research does show us, is that youth, young males in particular, um, can develop a psychotic disorder from the use of marijuana. And when, when adults have more accessibility, kids have more accessibility. And so that is a real danger. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's if if parents understood or 
how incredibly important it is for them not to allow that for yeah. their kids because their brain is developing. Right. There are all kinds of things that it can have an effect on. That is probably the most important thing to come out of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. having more availability to it, I mean, it makes sense, right? You know, you, you speak to someone who's 70 years old and they're struggling medically and they take, you know, marijuana and it makes them sleep and it makes them feel better and maybe their sadly body's declining and they need that, but they're 70 years old, right? Like they're right. not, you know, 15, 16, 17, somehow getting hold of this stuff. And regardless if it's marijuana or alcohol or whatever it is, like it's just not good for you in general because you're still developing as a child. Yes, and if they were going to develop a psychotic disorder, they would have long ago developed it. Um, usually those start to have their first uh, rearing their heads between 18, 16, sure. and 25. Once you get past that, then you're probably not going to have a psychotic disorder. Yeah. Well, that's exactly that time frame where... Marijuana can bring that on yeah. in some youth, um, yeah. where they might not have ended up with a full-blown psychotic disorder. Is there a stigma around, um, or not, not a stigma, but just kind of it might be a stigma, just around the, you know, you might have a medical issue and people just don't want to take medicine, like they just stay away from. No, that's drugs. I might get it. Like I just don't want it. Is there is that a real thing as well? It's a it's amazingly real. Yeah. Um, I hear that so much of the time um, of people who don't want to take a medicine or they'll be on a medicine and they'll decide because that medicine is working real well and they have no symptoms anymore yeah. that they don't need it. Mm. And so they'll, they'll go off of their medication without having a conversation with their physician or having monitoring around that to right. see if their symptoms will come back. But yeah, it's quite prevalent. Yeah. And there's always going to be some side effects with any medication. And so it's really important to, to, to have a discussion with the physician about that, but also to know that those side effects oftentimes will go away after you've taken that medication yeah. for two months or so. And so people will start a medication that could have a huge impact on their life and, and quit it within a week or two yeah. and then say, oh, I don't like that medication. It had this effect on me um, when it actually could be really life changing yeah. for them. Back to what you said earlier, the one thing that comes to mind, you know, we talk about kind of young kids and, and just developmentally and, and, you know, talking about being in a classroom for eight hours. You know, you, we've all kind of heard the stories of, of that somebody's not behaving, take, given these tablets and it'll, they'll be, you know, like they'll keep them quiet or whatever. And I'm sure there's people who push against that as well, right? Because sometimes it's just a parenting issue. Yes. Right? And you're like, if you raise your kid a little bit better, but it's hard to say that when you're when you're in a position that, you know, you can't just say, look, you should probably learn how to raise your child better and, you know, instead of giving him. So that's sadly the fine line, isn't it? And the hard part of your of your, your job and other people who are in your profession is, you know, yes, it'll help out mom and dad if, if we make this kid quiet for, for three or four hours a day, but also what's it going to do in the long term? True. And there are absolutely, I don't want to make any mistake, very legitimate reasons for kids to take medications. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I do think sometimes we could adjust our expectations yeah. a little bit because we may be sweeping a little bit broader stroke than mm -hmm. we need. And you're right. Some of that is um, due to parenting. Uh, you know, most people parent the way they were parented and that might not have been great. We all need lessons. We all need to continue to learn. And yeah. And then, and then an, a, another issue that is a, a, a biggie in Oklahoma is that we have a lot of children that are no longer with their their families mm -hmm. that you know have become involved in child welfare or juvenile justice, and then you have more of a system parenting right. a child who's never going to be great at it yeah it's when you die down the rabbit hole right it, it kind of you just keep going and and, and you just you know you, you go back into like you said it's the way they were parented and or you know if they haven't grown up without a parent like it's not the kid's fault right it, it's always you know then that's the beauty of psychology and, and just the the probably the thing that gives you a buzz about your profession is it, just the intricacies and and why people are the way that they are and i mean it's fascinating stuff when you really you know, dive into it. It is. It's so fascinating. And, you know, I can remember one of my one of my favorite things was a period of time I worked with adolescents. And 
And there were times in working with adolescents that you really just have to focus on this is temporary mm-hmm. and we're going to work on you having the skills and the resilience until you can make these decisions yourself about what you want your life to be. Um, and then, you know, talk about the magic, seeing those kids later when they're in college and whatnot, and they did make it through. And, and maybe they didn't have the greatest circumstances that they grew up in, but they could overcome those. So, yeah. 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 That's that, that must be so cool. isn't it to see that person and, and, because you've been in the industry for long, so long, you know, you, you see these, these kids as they were growing up and now they're, you know, graduating college or they, they're a successful business owner or, you know, they might even be coming full circle and being, you know, starting degrees in, in the profession that you're in. Like that's absolutely that's something I, special about that. I do know a person that, um, that I saw um, when they were young that is a psychologist now and it yeah. just makes me so happy so good uh (laughs) moving forward then let's talk about 988 and where that kind of comes into your life and where that comes from and obviously in oklahoma over the last you know year or so it's starting to become a thing and people might be seeing it through social media now you know thankfully it's not as long as that giant number that it used to be right but it seems like there's a lot more than just hey this is just a number for you to call so when was the first time that this came on the radar for you and then how, how do we get to where it is today in Oklahoma? So about a year and a half ago, on the federal level, there was federal le- legislation passed that said, we're going to make a three-digit number for mental health emergencies. And there had been uh, a lot of policy work and lobbying for that for many, many years. And um, it was just a huge, exciting time for that to have passed federally. So when that passed... In reality, what it did is it said there will be a three-digit number, 988, that can be called from any landline or any cell phone, and you will reach um, a person to talk to. Now, in many states, what happened was that the, the national suicide hotline became where 98 connected to. Okay. And so they didn't necessarily change anything in their state, except now you had another way to reach it. But we really looked at it here in Oklahoma and said, this is a huge opportunity. We could do so much around having this three-digit number. Mm-hmm. So we started then really crafting out what we wanted it to look like here and um, are in the process of developing a continuum of care. So what we did get put in place um, for when the number went live, which was uh, July, um, is to have one call center where this came in. Uh And throughout that call center, it could link you to many things. It could give you information if what you're looking for is a place to go for help and treatment. It has a warm line. So if what you really want is just to talk to someone, Uh um, you're not necessarily saying I'm in crisis, but you're saying I've really got some things I want to talk about. Um, All the way up to an imminent crisis. I, um, I have thoughts of harming myself. I have a plan. I am on the verge of acting on it. Help me. Or a family member or a friend of someone who wants to call and say, I don't know what to do. I saw this text. It's very scary. I think something's going to happen. So for any and all of those types of things, also the ability to connect to additional hotlines from there if needed, if if more specificity was warranted. So it will handle the immediate crisis. And then perhaps if it's identified that it should go a gambling track, then we'd go the gambling hotline way so it can connect through everything. But in addition, being able to have mobile crisis teams that can go out across the state Mm -hmm. when appropriate and to have persons trained to understand when that's appropriate and when it's not and just to be able to have everything at people's fingertips now also we knew in addition to this we needed to have more places for people to go if needed. So we've been building an infrastructure of urgent care, psychiatric urgent cares, and crisis units for folks to go, mm-hmm. along with upcoming more hospital beds to meet the need and the demand. Because in Oklahoma, one of our, our most stubborn issues has been the suicide rate. Mm. 
and we've seen very little movement in that through the years. We saw a little bit of a downward trend right before COVID, and then COVID, of course, has uh, pushed things back up. So knowing that this could be a way in Oklahoma that we could finally get some real solid traction around reducing suicides by having this one easy number that connects you to an entire continuum and infrastructure to handle what is going on. Yeah. And then the other piece that's really important is that there is always a closing of that loop. So if you called today and mobile crisis came out or you talked to someone and had a referral for um, a local treatment provider or you went into a crisis unit, then that call center is going to follow back up with you. Hey, was that helpful? How are you feeling today? Is there anything else that you need that we can help you with? So having that just continued connection afterwards to make sure that you get what it is that you need is incredibly yeah. important. And those crisis teams, they will come to you. They're, if you, you were to call, they depending on obviously the level of what is going on, um, they're ready and just like, yeah, we're on our way. Yes, it's they'll be dispatched. Now, starting this in July, we layered in mobile crisis teams around the state. Sure. But also knowing that we also needed to get data to know where we put the second layer in. So right now, we just are getting two months worth of data. Um, the largest area of mobile crisis team dispatches have been in the Oklahoma City metro area. Okay. Next has been Tulsa. Third has been Cleveland County. But, sure. but we're starting to get enough data that we can layer in our second level. Um, and our goal is, yes, absolutely, wherever you're at around the state. Um, if you, know, you, you need to be in agreement that, yes, you do well, want yeah, people sure. to come to you. And then we need to determine that it's safe. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yes, people will come to you, sit down, talk to you. Let's work through this. Let's figure out what's going on. Let's yeah. go ahead and have someone to talk to in person right now. And then if it progresses, then they might take you to if, a center. Yes. If okay. during those discussions it's determined or desired to go to a higher level of care, then that can be facilitated right there. Mm -hmm. And then in addition, um, they'll do the warm connection to continue to outpatient if that's what's needed is we'll have you an appointment tomorrow and we're yeah. going to. We're going to follow up with you to see, are there any barriers or do, you know, we want to make sure you get there. Right. So that you don't find yourself in crisis again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, you know, what, like what you've just explained is there is a clear plan in place to this, you know, not, not that this is going to just be a one-time, one-stop shop, right? This is, how are you doing after, right? There's this follow-up involved to the fact that, you know, this, this is, we're continuing this support, right? It's not just getting people through the door and ticking, ticking boxes, like, Right. This is, you know, yes, we've, we, you know, the hard part is, is you've called and that's incredible for you to call and ask for help because regardless of, of the issue, nobody likes asking for help, right? I think that's one thing that us as humans generally don't like doing, especially men, is asking for help. Right. Uh, so doing that, but also, you know, the, the fact that there is a plan in place and there is infrastructure in place that, you know, if you need help, you know, we are continue, going to continue to follow up with you and you know that there is support there for you. Yes. Which is really special. And, you know, we have the ability nowadays that if, if what you want in the long run is to receive your services through video, technology, mm -hmm. teletherapy, we can do that as well. If, if, if you're one of those men that feels uncomfortable about... Um, a therapy, but you have managed to make a phone call. If what we need to do in the long run is direct it that way for you to feel more comfortable, we can do that as well. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Then, like you said earlier, for for the the kind of rural communities, right, who mm -hmm. who have that just maybe one bill, you know, one stop shop where the everyone knows where the therapist is and everyone knows the therapist because they right. go to church with them on Sunday. Right. So having or an online, on the same street. Yeah, mm -hmm. having an online is, is extremely mm -hmm. valuable because then. 
you know, nobody has to know. It's up to you to tell people yes. if, you know, maybe your close circle knows or, or it's, uh, you know, if you're in a relationship and it comes to a mutual agreement that, you know, the, the, the husband or the wife has said, I think we should do this together, then it helps, right? You know, having Absolutely. someone with you in, in the house and they might not be on the screen, but they sat next to you. Like yes. this is, that's massive. Yes, that's true. So. And 988 has a text and chat as well. Mm-hmm. So um, if, if you don't feel comfortable calling 988, you can text 988. Now, there's a couple of caveats to that. Um, right now, when you call and text 988, it, it is answered nationally, so we can't guarantee sure. you it's Oklahoma, but we can with our calls. But it's getting ready to be able to go state-specific, and when it does, we'll have all, it'll yeah. be Oklahoma folks right here with you that can answer your text yeah. and chat. In, in your career, then, in your time that you've been in this profession, um, is this kind of probably the biggest breakthrough that you've seen on a national level, then? With, like, how easy it is using technology and having this easy number to have people... Is it going that way? Because it's not in every state, right? Yes, 988's in every state. Oh, it is in every state now. But it may not have that crisis continuum with it. Okay. It may just be someone day into it. You can answer, but okay, Mm -hmm. so so the call centers might not be in the same state. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, the call may not be answered in your state. In fact, we in Oklahoma, we have a call center and two in-state backups. And those two in-state backups spend a lot of time doing calls for other states. Okay, yeah. Because we have capacity, and other states haven't built capacity. Right, yet, I guess, because it's going that way. Hopefully they will yeah. get there. So Oklahoma's just kind of jumping on board then has been one of the early people to say, yeah, we want to do this, and we're going to get behind it, and we're going to do it with the full force that we can do it. Exactly. And support other states until they can do it. That's exactly. really neat. And I will say, our, you know, our legislator and our um our legislators and our governor have been very supportive. They um, provided funding for mobile crisis teams two years ago. They've um, uh, really stepped up. They they provided funding for additional urgent cares and crisis units. So it really has been a team effort. And I have found the the things that make the biggest difference really are team efforts. It takes a lot of people to get these things done and. Um, it's been a great partnership. Yeah. So has it been because of technology and because of, I guess, just growth and what you've seen over your career then? Is it something that's just not groundbreaking because it's just been, you know, people have been doing this for a long time. It's just the, the way that it's been done is different because of the number and because of technology and texting and face to FaceTime or whatever it is. You know, it's, I think your initial question was, has it been the most groundbreaking? Yeah. And this time you'd backed a little bit away from that. I um, I don't think it's the most groundbreaking. Okay. I think um, in my career, the things that I've seen that are the most groundbreaking, one was the development of crisis centers around sure. in rural areas. Because the only way you could receive your higher level of care was to leave your community and go to a large state hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, we still need them. Yeah. But how nice to be able to have a short-term stay within your own community and then hit right back with your outpatient. Right. So that one has been a game changer. Um, the other thing that I think has been a huge game changer is some of our partners deliver tablets to the persons they serve. Okay. And we have some of our partners that give a tablet to everyone that they serve. Mm -hmm. And that in the center of that has a button that you push for crisis, or it's populated on the side with your therapist, your doctor, Mm -hmm. your case manager. So by doing that, because in rural we have a lot of problems, or at times problems with with good um, wireless connectivity, or do you even have wireless in your own home? Do you have a laptop to do services through? You may not have any of those things. And this is tablets as like an iPad, not like physical tablets, just clearing that up for people listening. Oh yes, like an iPad. (laughs) Yeah. And so when a person has that in their hands and they can connect to their treatment provider at any point in time, wherever they're at, if they decide they're going to travel, they don't have to miss an appointment, they can still connect. That I have, I feel like is one of the most groundbreaking. Um, in the area where that's saturated, our hospital rates have dramatically declined. So that's been exciting. 
I also feel one of the most dramatic things that has happened was building an infrastructure of medication-assisted treatment throughout our entire state. Mm -hmm. That is really what has helped save lives with opiates and get people into care and treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, Those have been groundbreaking. Um, We're getting ready to have another big game change in that um, we are the legislative ARPA committee took on the recommendation to build two new hospitals to replace our aged hospitals that we currently have and have have moved that forward. It will go to the full legislature in a couple of months so that when you do need very specialized and high acuity care, you can have all the dignity and respect that you need. So that's a big game changer too. So there's a lot of them. This is big. Well, that's good though. Yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear that because you know, it's, it, it, uh, there's, you know, cause I, I don't know anything about this stuff and I'm sure people, 90% of people listening don't know anything about this stuff either. So it's great to share this information and have it out there and, and know that, you know, Obviously, 988 is out there for anyone listening and needs that stuff. And the website you can go to is 988oklahoma.com, and then the resources on there are great. I mean, you even have coloring pages, which is awesome because as someone who loves to draw and color, I think they look awesome. Uh, I think it will... But there's so much on there. What I would say is I think it will be the single biggest thing to reduce suicides yeah. that our state has ever seen. Yeah. Yes, which absolutely. Is, Back to our earlier conversation, with that's extremely important. And, very important. Um, you know, you're, you're really changing lives, right? You know, you're yes. not back to the stigma and you're not just like, here's a bottle of pills and we'll see you, you know, in six months, right? Like right. it's gone a long way from that. And, and there's nothing better than, like you said earlier, of seeing students who have come through and, you know, and you're, they're in psychology or seeing those people who you've, who you've helped and, and their families that you've helped and, and their relationships are better and their dad is now there or their mom is there and, and you know, she's, you know, who, who knows what could have happened if, if this wasn't available. Yes. And it's just amazing now that it, it's so easy as just to call a yes. number. So yes. um, thank you so much for coming down. I uh, love what you're doing. Uh, and I really sense your passion of, you know, when I, when I said earlier, psychology and this is fascinating. I think you, you light it up a little bit. So I can definitely sense your passion and love what you, you know, you clearly love what you do. Um, so Carrie, thanks so much for coming down. And for people listening, all the links to the website, social media stuff around 988 will be in the description. You can go check that out and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at oklahomahof. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and finally our third sponsor for today the oklahoma 988 mental health lifeline 988 is the direct three-digit lifeline that connects you with the trained behavioral health professionals that can get all oklahomans the help that they need learn more by visiting 988oklahoma.com It's 988oklahoma.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.